I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I'm not really here this week. Um, thank you for joining me, even though I'm not really here this week. I This is a pre-recorded episode, because as you're listening, I am in Philadelphia, Uh, with a million of my closest friends as we are uh, attending the papal audiences as Pope Francis is here in the United States. Uh, So what I'd like you to do right now is just take a moment while I'm talking uh, and lift up a prayer for us and all the pilgrims who have traveled from around uh, around the country and really around the hemisphere uh, to be in Philadelphia for this papal pilgrimage. Uh, We on Friday, we we attended three different shrines And then today, there are events going on all day long in Center City of Philadelphia. Pope Francis will be there tonight making an appearance. And then tomorrow, we have a Mass with him uh, in the evening, and then get on a bus and drive 24 hours back through the night. Um, And so just lift up a prayer for me, lift up a prayer for all the people who are with me, and then everybody else who traveled. Uh, just for safety, that we would all be, uh, you know, we wouldn't get lost from our group, that we're all together, uh, just in general, that everything would go smoothly, and that that the the Holy Spirit, that God the Father, uh, through His mercy, would protect not only the pilgrims, but also our Holy Father, as He is in the city of brotherly love. Well, we're going to start, uh, we got a lot to do today. We're going to talk later in the show with Rebecca Hamilton. She's a former legislator in the state of Oklahoma. Now she has a blog called Public Catholic. It's on the Pathios Network, one of my favorite networks to find really good blogs. Of course, there are excellent bloggers everywhere, uh, but Pathios just kind of puts them all together. They collect them from various locations on the web, bring them into one place, and there they give us this just this smorgasbord of wonderful Catholic bloggers. Now, if you have someone that you know about, whether it be an apostolate, whether it be an author that just really speaks to you from the Catholic world, that you think uh, I should have on this show, then I would like for you to contact me. You can do that a number of ways. You can give me a call on our comment line. That's 918-928-KPIM, 918-928-5746. Or you can send me an email, info at outsidethewalls.com, And let me know, uh, say, you know, I've got this author that you should have on. He wrote this great blog. She wrote this great book, whatever the case is. uh, They they started this great apostolate and let me know about it. And we'll bring them on the show and and interview them uh, for the edification of everyone who is tuning in. Well, we've got a lot to do today. So let's go ahead and start, as always, with prayer and scripture and a reading from church history. God aids and protects the people he has chosen for his inheritance. Let us give thanks to him and proclaim his goodness. Lord, we trust in you. We pray for our Pope and all our bishops. Protect them and in your goodness, make them holy. May the sick feel their companionship with a suffering Christ and know that they will enjoy his eternal consolation. In your goodness, have compassion on the homeless help them to find proper housing. In your goodness, give and preserve the fruits of the earth so that each day there may be bread enough for all. Lord, you attend the dying with great mercy. Grant them an eternal dwelling. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. O God, who manifest your almighty power above all by pardoning and showing mercy, bestow, we pray, your grace abundantly upon us and make those hastening to attend to your promises heirs to the treasures of heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading comes from the book of Zechariah, from the chapter 2. I, Zechariah, raised my eyes and looked. There was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, Where are you going? He answered, To measure Jerusalem, and to see how great its width and how great its length. Then the angel who spoke with me advanced, and another angel came out to meet him and said to him, Run, tell this to that young man. People will live in Jerusalem as though in open country because of the multitude of men and beasts in their midst. But I will be for her an encircling wall of fire, says the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. See, I am coming to dwell among you, says the Lord. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord on that day, and they shall be his people, and he will dwell among you. That reading comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 2. Today's responsorial is not a psalm. It comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it on distant isles and say, He who scattered Israel now gathers them together. He guards them as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. The Lord shall ransom Jacob. He shall redeem him from the hand of his conqueror, shouting, They shall mount the heights of Zion. They shall come streaming to the Lord's blessings. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. Then the virgins shall make merry and dance, and young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will console and gladden them after their sorrows. The Lord will guard us as a shepherd guards his flock. Today's gospel comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. While they were all amazed at his every deed, Jesus said to his disciples, Pay attention to what I am telling you. The Son of Man is to be handed over to men. But they did not understand this saying. Its meaning was hidden from them so that they should not understand it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Today's reading from church history comes from a letter to the Philippians by St. Polycarp, bishop and martyr. He was a second century bishop very early on in the church and was actually a a disciple of St. John the Apostle. Uh, So very, very early and very close connections to Christ himself. It is not out of presumption that I write to you, my brothers, on what righteousness means, but rather because you asked me to do so. For neither I nor anyone like me can equal the wisdom of the blessed and glorious Paul. When he was in your city, he fully and courageously taught the men of that time the word of truth. 
When he was absent, he wrote you letters. By carefully studying these letters, you can strengthen yourselves in the faith that has been given to you. This faith is the mother of us all, followed by hope, preceded by love, the love of God, of Christ, of our neighbor. Whoever lives within this framework has fulfilled the commandment of righteousness. For anyone who has love is far from sin. Now the source of all evil is the desire to possess. Mindful that we brought nothing into this world and can take nothing out of it, let us put on the armor of righteousness. We must begin by teaching ourselves how to walk in the commandment of the Lord. Then you should teach your wives to walk in the faith that has been handed down to them, in love and in chastity. They must love their husbands with complete fidelity. They must cherish all others equally. And with self-control, they must raise their children in the discipline that comes from the fear of the Lord. We must teach widows to be discreet in all that concerns the faith of the Lord. They must pray without ceasing for all men, shunning all calumny, gossip, false witness, greed, in a word, every sort of evil. They must bear in mind that they are God's sacrificial altar. He sees everything clearly. Nothing escapes his vigilance, be it calculation, thought, or some secret desire of the heart. God, as we know, is not mocked. Let us walk in a way that is worthy of his commands and his purposes. Deacons, in the same way, must be blameless in the sight of his goodness, for they are servants of God and of Christ, not of men. They must avoid calumny, hypocritical talk, and greed, Merciful and diligent, they must control all their desires, walking according to the truth of the Lord, who became the servant of all men. If we please him in this life, we shall receive the life to come, for he has promised us that he will raise us from the dead, and that if we lead lives worthy of him, we shall reign along with him. This is what our faith tells us. That reading comes from the letter to the Philippians by St. Polycarp, Bishop and Martyr. Wow, there is so much that we could talk about just between those passages and uh, of Scripture and of church history, and there's just not enough time to go every direction possible. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to look at just a couple of thoughts. The first thought, and I think the thought that's primary, not only in the order that we listen to it, but also in the order that we must receive it, the first thing is that God is our protector, right? God is there for our safety and for our good. He's there to, to bring us protection and health. He's there to provide for our needs. Uh, and we see that uh, really through our prayers, right? We see that through the, the prophets, which generally what the prophets are saying is, uh, you're about to be in trouble, right? That's generally what we get out of the prophets. And yet here in the book of Zechariah, we have this beautiful passage. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. See, I am coming to dwell among you, says the Lord. Many nations shall rejoice themselves in the Lord on that day. That's us, by the way. Uh, and they shall be his people, and he will dwell among you. So here we have this promise of God's presence. And with that presence, we see in then the the responsorial out of Jeremiah, that the Lord will guard his people as a shepherd guards his flock. Then we come down to the letter to the Philippians by St. Polycarp, and there's a little bit of a, a little bit of an edge here. 
Uh, and he has to remind them, I'm not being presumptuous. You asked me to talk to you about righteousness. And what he says is that there are three things that we have to do to uphold the, the righteous demands of the law. They are to love God, to love Christ, and to love our neighbor. And that can be easy to say and very difficult to do. It's very difficult to care for the needs of our neighbor uh, when we need to feel like we need to take care of our own family. We need to make sure that we have enough. Uh, and yet, he reminds us, mindful that we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Let us put on the armor of righteousness. And in that, then he begins to address everybody possible. He addresses the men and the husbands and the wives and the widows and the deacons. And he's like, listen, you're, you might think that you're exempt, that you're holy, but I have some talking to and some finger wagging to go for you as well, because this life is not all there is. We live in a way to care for the needs of all because of the hope of the resurrection. It's not something that that is pie in the sky and the great hereafter. Uh, We pray every day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our job is not to wait for the kingdom to occur later. It's to help usher in the kingdom of God right here today. And so as Pope Francis has reminded us, Polycarp reminds us as well, the source of all evil is the desire to possess. Mindful that we brought nothing into this world and can take nothing out of it, let us put on the armor of righteousness. And that we remember that faith is the mother of us all, followed by hope, preceded by love. The love of God, the love of Christ, and the love of our neighbor accomplishes everything else that we need to do. We don't have to have this checklist of a million things. We just need the three. Love of God, love of Christ, and love of our neighbor. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Rebecca Hamilton. She is a former legislator in the state of Oklahoma. She is a blogger on the Pathios Network. On The blog is Public Catholic. And we're going to be talking to her about what it means to be fully pro-life. She's going to give us a little bit of her conversion story of how she came to be pro-life. And then is going to be talking about what caring for her mother now is teaching her about being fully pro-life. A lot more to talk about. Join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, Well, this show is pre-recorded. I am pre-recording this show because I, right now, am wrestling with uh, the crowds, the throngs in Philadelphia as we are uh, taking a pilgrimage to see Pope Francis. So you get to hear a pre-recorded show. Don't you feel lucky that you don't have to wrestle with the crowds? We're... We're talking today with uh, Rep- Rebecca Hamilton. She's a, a Pathios blogger. Uh, her blog is Public Catholic. And she's a public Catholic because she was a member of the Oklahoma legislature for 18 years. Uh, just has a phenomenal record. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, she had a profound conversion to, to being fully, consistently pro-life. About five or six years into her first term, she took some time off, came back to the the legislature, and has just a a fabulous, 
phenomenal record. Uh, I'm not a very political person, but this is by far my favorite politician in the whole world. Uh, Rebecca, thank you for being on the show today. <laughs> thank you, Timothy. I'm glad to be here. So do, uh, now you've answered this for me before, but I just want I want everyone else to hear. Do you miss being in the legislature day after day, hearing bills, play, playing with red tape uh, and all the like? Not at all. No, not for a moment. I'm, I really feel like I got out of prison. I'm glad <laughs> <to be> <laughs> That's great. Now, um, you are a little bit of, of an anomaly. Uh, you are a staunch, uh, unmovable, pro-life Democrat. Uh, and That's right. Now, individuals, there are a lot uh, of people that I have met of individuals who are lean toward the Democratic Party but are, are staunchly pro-life. Uh, mm-hmm. But I haven't met very many politicians who are uh, under the, the Democrat Party, under that platform, and yet are as vocal and as active in your activism about pro-life as you are. Well, let's pay a price. To say. I paid a huge price. Uh, one that I was uh, blessed to pay. I'm mm-hmm. going to make that very clear. It was a blessing to me, even though it hurt a right. lot. But you pay a huge price if you're an elected official and you're a Democrat and you're pro-life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually had the statewide convention in 2007, which was the big PAC convention where they were nominating delegates to the uh, national convention when they nominate the president so it was it was a very strong num- big number of democrats who were there actually came within 50 votes of censuring me for hmm. passing a pro-life bill wow. and they always said that if they'd been better organized they would have passed it and i've never doubted that yeah. i assume that they would have but i was picketed by my own party i had some activists in the party who uh, recruited an opponent to run against me and funded this person and all just because of pro-life. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing unusual about that except probably the censoring being censored. But uh, it, it's rough. I mean, I had uh, colleagues in the House who would come up to me on the House floor and yell at me and tell me to get out of the Democratic Party. Wow. Every time we passed a pro-life bill, one or two of them would come back and say something ugly to me about it. It was it was a very, and on the good days, it was uncomfortable. Well, we're com- on the bad days, it was rough. We're, we're coming up now on... Um... 40 Days for Life. We've got all those Planned Parenthood videos that have been released over time. Uh, we, uh, we, we have all of these pro-life bills that are, uh, that are up, being voted on. There's one that, that, that was brought to the Senate uh, here recently on the 20-week the uh, uh, abortion ban. All, all these different things are out there, and yet we watch the political system play out in very predictable ways, and it raises everybody a lot of money, but it doesn't seem like anything really changes. So from having been in the the political structure and machinery for so long, my my question to you is this. What can we do uh, that will actually begin to affect change in our legislature? What are the kinds of of, uh, conversations we can have with legislatures? What is there that can be done that may put pressure on 
uh, those in both parties to begin changing in a positive way? There are a couple of things that you can we can do and that we desperately need to do. First of all, we need to stop believing the lies. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reason things don't change, for instance, they're not going to defund Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. They want to use this for a campaign uh, issue. They're building it as a campaign issue. They don't seriously intend to defund Planned Parenthood. If they get enough pressure, they just might do it. And, of course, they can. They would have to override a presidential veto, but... Mm-hmm. I think this issue is strong enough if they crafted the bill properly where instead of just defunding Planned Parenthood, they took the services that the public supports and funded them elsewhere um, so that those services were not left, were not obliterated. I I think they could knock off enough Democratic votes to come close to overriding a veto, especially Mm -hmm. if they hooked it up with a bill that the Democrats dearly want. But just from, just from a marketing standpoint, it seems like failure of these bills raises more money than success of these bills. Uh, Absolutely. That's why That's why both parties are committed to things that's the way they are. They both benefit from things the mm-hmm. way they are. Uh, without the more, so-called moral issues of abortion and uh, I think the Republican Party uh, they're very wishy-washy right now about things like gay marriage and the the whole issue of religious freedom. They don't know what they they haven't decided yet what the smart move is. Right to be blunt. Right. But they 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 pretty well latched on to abortion as a vote getter for themselves. And if they didn't, they probably wouldn't win win many elections with their program of doing away with social security and <laughs> other things like that. I mean, I, I don't think people really vote for them for those things i think they most people vote for them because the way this is structured if you're a believing christian who believes in the sanctity of human life you almost feel like you don't have a choice right because the democrats turn around and they run uh i i don't like picking on an individual but it it is fair to talk about the president of the united states we have a president who is not only in, I, I don't know how he could be any more pro-abortion. I don't think it's possible. But who has single-handedly ushered in gay marriage and who attacks, uh, has attacked the church and religious freedom and tried to back the uh, First Amendment up to mean nothing more than freedom to worship, which basically means only the freedom to have religious speech inside churches by clergy. Right which basically does away with the First Amendment. The president seriously, or his attorneys, have seriously maintained in court that the First Amendment does not apply to individuals. Mm -hmm. And I get all worked up about this because it makes me angry, and it makes me doubly angry because he is a Democrat of sorts. (laughs) I don't, this is not the Democratic Party that I'm, uh, I'm I'm the kind of Democrat who believes in, I mean, I call myself a Harry Truman Democrat. Yeah. Well, let's, and let's talk I, a little I bit. The stuff Obama's doing it all, I find it appalling. Let's talk a little bit uh, about the the abortion issue. This is one that you had a oh. profound conversion on. Uh, when you first came yeah. into the legislature, you, you believed one way and pressed for one thing. And then uh, just talk real briefly about that conversion and then about what the result of that was for you. 
in in your term in the legislature? Well, I was actually to back up even before I was elected the first time in 1980, I was the NARAL director for Oklahoma. Hmm. And I opened, uh, helped open, I organized, did the organizing work of opening the first abortion clinic in Oklahoma. I had referred people for abortions. I, so I was very strongly right. one way of this issue. And this was all during what I call my anti-God years. Mm-hmm. And I was very, I was angry with God over a, a, some personal things. Very, very angry with God. And I had decided that God wouldn't help you or couldn't or something, but he just didn't matter. So what made the difference for you? Well, I was uh, driving in my car to make a speech, actually, on my way up to Enid, Oklahoma, to make a speech. And I had done something and didn't have anything to do with abortion because I had no idea that abortion was wrong, to be honest. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. And I, but I had done something else. I had hurt someone very badly, and I knew I was wrong on that. And I, I felt tremendously remorseful, and it just kind of, it, it came out of my mouth. And I said it out loud, and all I said was, forgive me. Hmm. But I was talking to God. And I instantly, I mean, instantly felt this, everything just lift off of me, all this weight. And I felt this love pouring into me, this ecstatic love pouring into me. And then after that, for a period of a very long time, in fact, I think he's still here. I think I've just gotten used to him, the way you get used to the shoes. And and you don't feel your shoes, even though they're on your feet. And I think it's like that, because for a long, there was this this being that was with me, Hmm. and who... And I didn't know, it was probably a year before I figured out that this was the Holy Spirit. I I had no idea who, or I just knew that I was loved, tremendously loved. And this being just started over a period of time, very, very, very gently showing me my sins. And it was, uh, at first it was just, you remember the time you went to that party and that man was standing there and he was all alone and you just walked past him and left him standing there alone. Well, that was wrong. You know, things like that. It was just very, and it was very gentle. And it was just, remember when you did this? Well, that was wrong. And then about a year and a half later, and this kind of bothers some pro-life people, but it is what happened. It wasn't until about a year and a half later that this being started holding up abortion to me and saying, this is wrong. Wow. We're going to continue this story on the other side of the break. We're talking today with former Oklahoma legislator Rebecca Hamilton. She's currently a blogger on the Pathios Network. Her blog is Public Catholic. Join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. The handle on Twitter is at Outside the Walls. I want to know what you have to say about this. Of course, we're talking about being totally pro-life and what that looks like. Uh, Just a beautiful conversion story. We've got more coming right up right after the break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck through the break. Got a great show today. We're talking with former Representative Rebecca Hamilton. She served in the Oklahoma legislature for 18 years. Had in the middle of that tenure uh, just a profound conversion uh, to being pro-life. We're going to talk a little bit more about that conversion and then the implications of that in her life uh, and what she's even learning about it still today. Rebecca, again, thank you for being on the show. Uh, Thanks, Now, we left that last break. We were talking about you had this experience in the car where you just asked for God's forgiveness, generically, about a, well, uh, specifically about a specific instance, but that the Holy Spirit used that to begin regularly speaking to you and, and showing you the things that are wrong. Uh, and what, what I love about this story is it shows the persistence and the patience of God. You know, so many times we, we want people to change instantly and on a dime. And certainly there are conversions like that. We see with the apostle Paul, when he was knocked off his high horse, as it was, uh, from being Saul and then his conversion to being now an apostle. We see those. Well, even Paul, even Paul had to wait a while. That's right. I, I, he, even he had to, and I'm not equating myself with Paul, but I think that God usually has you wait. Mm-hmm. And I think one reason why is the way I put it is God doesn't change what you do. Mm-hmm. God changes what you want to do. Yeah. And he does that. He loves you literally from life to death. I mean, from death to life. Got that backwards. Mm-hmm. And in the it takes time. Uh, you don't it, just look around you. I mean, if a flower blooms, it doesn't just come out fully bloomed. First, mm-hmm. it's a seed, then it lays down roots, then it grows and sprouts, and then there's a bud, and then the bud slowly opens, and then you get the flower. Right. And uh, it's that way with everything that God does. All of creation operates that way. And that is how he operates in us. There aren't any sporing moments where he just changes you instantly. And the reason why is because we have free will. Mm-hmm. And so he, he has to bring us to him gently because that's the way it operates with free will. We have to assent. So here we have it. You you had this experience and God brought you over the course of a year and a half uh, to a place where now he's finally bringing up the issue of abortion. And that's where we left uh, in the last break. And and he he starts bringing this up to you. And and let's go from there. Well, what he did, what happened was first he started, started, it was just he'd raise abortion up and and say, this is wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after a few weeks of that, he started saying, this is wrong, and I want you to stand up and tell everyone that you've changed. Hmm. Now, in politics, that's kind of like he said, I want you to stand up and decapitate yourself. (laughs) 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 That that was a tremendously difficult thing. And I I was just scared to death. I had... um, all the pro-life, de- all the dealings I had ever had with pro-life people had been with people yelling at me, calling me names, telling lies about me, mm. being extremely harsh toward me. And I knew that if I did this, 
everybody that I thought of as my friend in politics, every single one of them would hate me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any idea of it anywhere else to go. And I was absolutely terrified of it. And it, it didn't even, I don't remember thinking much about losing an election. I was just terrified of the whole thing. And ironically enough, I kept telling him, I can't do it. I, I just can't. I'm so scared. I didn't, I don't remember saying I can't do it. I just kept saying, I'm so scared. I don't want to do this. And then he, uh, at the same time, I was trying to get pregnant with my first child. And I, it turned out, could not do that. And mm. I was praying all the time for a baby. And I got pregnant and left the house. He let me out of it. I've always felt he let me out of it. Mm-hmm. He asked me to do it. I got terrified and he let me out of it. And the irony is he let me out of it by giving me a baby. Yeah. And um, my theory is the reason why he did it that way is simply because I was a baby in Christ yeah. at that point. And nobody's mean to a, a toddler. You know, and, and so he let me go and, and let me go home and stay with my kids. And I, I really didn't think I would ever be in elected office again. And I was quite happy about that. And I, he, I grew up in Christ during those years at home. Well, you know, I, I think of this as the, the, the children of Israel walking through the desert. He takes them to the promised <laughs> land and they said, well, I can't do it. And he's like, all right, we'll try again in 40 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's some similarity there for sure. I'm not going to let you out and of it. it. I'm just going to give you a break. That's that's really what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, from time to time, all the years I was off, he would there was some opportunity would come up, and I could almost hear him asking, <laughs> "Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? No, no, I don't want to do that." And what happened then is I converted to the Catholic Church. I was called by the Eucharist, and I mean yeah. very strongly called by the Eucharist. And I wasn't called to the Eucharist. I was called by the Eucharist. Right. And um, after that experience, um, there again, I had no idea when I was confirmed that there were graces that came to you from confirmation. Mm-hmm. And and actually, when I was confirmed, I didn't feel anything. But in the weeks that followed, those graces really locked on. And I was praying the rosary one day, and I had what I call the awful gift, which was, uh, it was kind of like somebody downloaded a computer into me. I just all of a sudden, I mean, in, in a, just a, a less than a second, experienced everything that a baby goes through in an abortion. Hmm. And I, I experienced all of abortion from the side of the baby. Wow. And it was just absolutely horrific. Um, I never had really understood the horror of what I had done until that moment. And it, it shattered me. It was like being thrown through a car windshield. It just shattered me. And I, I, I couldn't stop crying. I went days and cried and couldn't stop crying. And I remember lying in bed at night crying and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it was the babies I was talking to. Mm-hmm. And I was just absolutely shattered by that experience. I, I hadn't realized that I was a monster, that well, I had been a monster. And then after this, let's fast forward just for the sake of time. You, you find yourself back in the legislature, 
And you, very shortly after that, I was back in the legislature. I mean, within a matter of months. And you became uh, probably one of the strongest proponents, both for women and children, uh, that maybe the state's ever seen. Uh, and so just r- real quick, give us a bullet list of some of those bills that you brought forward and helped to get passed. Oh, my goodness. Well, I passed the first bill that broke the 30-year logjam on uh, pro-life legislation here in Oklahoma. Hmm. I passed parental consent. I passed, um, I'm just blanking out at that, passed the bill stopping abortions in state hospitals. I passed the three-day waiting period. I passed the bill uh, establishing uh, that a doctor has to inform women that they can't be forced to have an abortion. I uh, passed a couple of bills redoing the uh, advanced directives Mm -hmm. to protect people from abuses in those. I passed bills saying that... um, they couldn't. You couldn't use women's uh, information. Uh, couldn't pr- put it on the internet. Rape victims' information. I passed the first protective order in Oklahoma. I did that the first time I was in office. I passed it, the first time I was in office. I passed bills um, setting up the adult. I didn't pass bills. I got the funding for the first uh, daycare centers in Oklahoma, adult daycare centers mm-hmm. for elderly people. Uh, I helped pass nursing home reform. Um, I passed. Um, it's 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 difficult to list it all right. off the top of my head. Well, and it's you huge. you've got this just beautiful uh, growth and transition in being from being the the president of of NARAL in Oklahoma uh, and helping get, mm-hmm. getting that established to then doing everything that you can to preserve life uh, and. We've got just a little bit of time left in this break, but after after this next break, I want to talk to you about uh, where that pro-life journey has led you uh, right now, because you're still learning uh, about what the implications of our belief in the dignity of the human person, uh, what that means. Uh, and so, if we if we have time, there's one thing I do want to say, Tim. Yeah, um, take go go right ahead. Being able being able to pass that pro-life legislation was a a gift from God. Mm -hmm. And I mean that sincerely. That was like an extra measure of forgiveness that I did not deserve. Yeah. It was a, it was an enormous gift to me to be able to do that. And it, it healed me to a great extent from a lot of my grief. And I, but I just thank God for that. That Mm -hmm. was a gift. Well, we're talking today with Rebecca Hamilton, former representative for the state of Oklahoma, uh, blogger on the Pathios Network at Public Catholic. We'll put a link to that up on our social media so you can find it easily. Join the conversation over on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And we're talking today about being totally pro-life and all the implications that come with that. Uh, Want to hear your thoughts? Share them with us on the comment line. You can do that at 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. We'll be back right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Glad you stuck through the break. We're talking today with Rebecca Hamilton, former representative in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, We're talking about what it means to be totally pro-life here at the beginning of 40 Days for Life, which is going on all around the country. You can find out more information at 40daysforlife.com and see how you can get involved. Uh, So we're talking about what it means to be totally pro-life. If you missed any part of this episode, you can get it on iTunes, or if you don't have iTunes, if you're on an Android device, I've got means for you to download that podcast. Find out more information at OutsideTheWalls.com. Rebecca, thank you again for being on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. So now I want to talk about, in just the, the six or seven minutes we've got left, uh, I want to talk about your your continuing journey into being pro-life and some of the more recent experiences that have taught you so much about that. Well, I think the thing that I've been doing uh, since I left office is one of the, I can't say it's the most important thing I ever did. I think my children, raising my children is, but this is very important. I'm mm-hmm. taking care of my mother. God has gifted me with a mother who's lived to be 90 years old mm-hmm. and she has dementia, very severe dementia, and it's getting worse all the time and uh, we're caring for her in our home I don't know how long we'll be able to continue that we may actually have to put her in a nursing home simply because we can't take care of her here I I don't know we're wrestling with that now but it's taught me um, that is part of being pro-life first of all I mean caring for the we live in a world where people want to literally snuff out anyone who's imperfect, and mm-hmm. they're actually trying to pass laws in the name of compassion to kill people who are disabled or who are elderly or sometimes just unhappy. Right. And we have um, – it's a killing instinct is what we're dealing with. They, they just want to kill, mm-hmm. and they dress it up by saying it's compassion. But well, it, true it, compassion is caring it, for these people. Yeah. And, you know, that all comes from this picture of our worth and our value being a product of what we can produce. That's absolutely right. Uh, My mother's just as precious now, in many ways more so than she ever has been. Um, The kind of love isn't love that doesn't love when someone isn't their best. And I, I think Shakespeare said love isn't love that alters when it alteration finds. Huh. And that, that's that's very true. And being pro-life is basically love. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's seeing it's, the value it's of not all a people. Broad commitment to an idea. It's it's loving people, caring for people, making life possible for people. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, my mother's very happy. She she's really quite happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of beaten up. <laughs> She's doing well. You know, and, and she has her days, too, where she, she gets into things. And uh, uh, We had this weekend. She somehow or another fell in the bathtub and bloodied herself up pretty badly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that I, I, spent, all. I spent some time over in uh, the Eastern Bloc, over in Europe, um, doing a semester of college. And what I noticed mm-hmm. there is the generation stuck together, 
right? You had three generations living in one small apartment or one house. And there was this picture mm-hmm. of family that always included the extended family. And somehow we got this picture in our head here in the United States that family is the, the immediate family, your husband, your wife, and your children. And it seems like we have a whole generation that forgot about their parents. Uh, and so I love reading your blog. I love seeing the things that you talk about there because it shows the importance of family doesn't end, right? We still take care of those who took care of us. Absolutely. And I think that we have, it's actually devolved down past the, uh, husband and wife and two kids type family. Now we have all these household households where people are living alone and we keep, I don't guess you can get any more (laughs) divided than living alone. Right. And, uh, we, we really have lost our connectedness with other people. And yet I can tell you that is the safe. uh, That's one thing I learned in politics. Mm-hmm. is there you have one safe harbor and that's home with yeah. your family well, and, and there really is anybody else that and you can rely on and we need to make our harbor as big as possible right <laughs> that's right uh it to uh, you're cutting your children if you do have uh children and you have a husband and you think that the two of you are enough you're wrong mm-hmm. grandparents give an enormous dynamic for good with children and this extended family in not only enriches their life but it increases their security and it increases their uh opportunities to love and be loved and learn about people and you're cheating yourself you're cheating your kids out of the best of life if you don't stay with your family and the to not care for your elderly parent is turning away Christ mm-hmm. when he says, I was sick and you comforted me. Right, right. I mean, you're saying no to Jesus. And I, I can't put it any more bluntly than that. You are, you are turning Christ away. And so for us who are Catholic, for, the, for us who, uh, you know, we're not legislators, we're not anyone else that can make a difference, mm-hmm. the things we can do that you've brought up as we can one, we can talk to our legislators, le- legislatures and try to try to make a difference in that way to apply some appropriate pressure there, but also encourage your legislatures when they do the right thing, because all they ever hear is complaints. Uh, and then the mm-hmm. second, second thing Very that great. I hear you saying is that what we can do most fully is to care uh, in the way that Matthew 25 tells us to care for the least of these uh, and do those things to Christ. Well, that's all the time we have this week. We'll put a link up to Rebecca's blog, Public Catholic, on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, and Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Keep me in prayer as I'm there with my pilgrims in Philadelphia for the papal events uh, today, tomorrow, and driving back on Monday. Outside the Walls is a co production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.